one of the blessings of living in California is the fact that when you have a Scottish accent and you go into a Starbucks or whatever, Pete's Coffee as we have there, or we have a lot of coffee shops in Sacramento, people immediately will point out my accent. And they say, oh, you're not from around here. I say, well, actually I am, but... Uh, it's always an opportunity, actually, to... They ask me, you know, so, so what brought you over to America? That's my American accent, by the way. And uh, they will say, you know, they will ask me that, and then, of course, I tell them, well, I'm actually a Christian minister. And at that point, there's only one of two ways the conversation goes. It either completely ends, or they ask me a few more questions about our church. And uh, whatever way the Lord and his purpose ordains it to go, I always try to buy up the opportunity. Uh, one of the funniest experiences I had, I'll tell you this, when I first went to California, and we were only there a number of months, I went to a Starbucks and there were a, a number of girls in the, in the, in the Starbucks, a couple behind the counter, and they heard me ask for, you know, my, can I have a vanilla latte, please? And there was, oh, we love your accent. Uh, and then they said to me, then they said, to, I thought this was good, they said to me, can you say donkey? And I'm thinking, Donkey? Out of Shrek, apparently. Uh, and then, I wasn't so flattered by that, of course. But uh, And then he said, are you married? And I went, happily, girls, can I have my uh, Starbucks? And I said to my wife, you need to pray for me. It's a dangerous place out there with a Scottish accent. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, the reality of it. My, my fellow elders always laugh when we're maybe out for something to eat because I'm always the one that people home in on and ask me, and even some of you folks have asked me, you know, do you know Alistair Begg? And I say, yes, I know Alistair. I've had lunch with him a few times, and uh, he's got more of an American accent than me, because he's been here longer. But accents are interesting, aren't they? It's fascinating, for sure. Let's read from 2 Timothy. I'd like to turn there, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and just to highlight a couple of verses towards the end of Paul's last letter. Uh, one of the things I think we can overlook when we read uh, some of Paul's letters are the personal elements in the letters, the comments he makes about people and the relationships that he has with people. But I think that we can learn a lot about the reality of his life. And we see this at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I think this will help us as we launch into our final session to look at the delights uh, of biblical friendship. Notice what he says in verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also the books above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And we'll end there at verse 14. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come before you again in this hour to ask for your help as we turn to your holy word and as we seek 
the wisdom that comes from above. We thank you, Father, that you have not left us to ourselves. We thank you that you have given us the Holy Scriptures that make us wise unto salvation. We thank you that they teach us all that we are to believe about you and all that you require of us as your people. And may it be now, Lord, as we would take time to consider the delights of biblical friendship, that you would encourage our hearts to see something of the beauty of your Son in the example that he is, as well as in the redemption that he has accomplished for us. And may it be, Father, that you would give us a heart that desires to be truly those who are spiritually minded in all of our relationships. Bless our time together. Be glorified, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. The great early church father, Augustine, said this, There can be no true friendship unless those who cling to each other are welded together by that love which is spread throughout our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given to us. This statement clearly indicates that the subject of biblical friendship is a subject that is rooted and grounded in the person and in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's brought into existence in our lives by the Holy Spirit who brings us from death to life and who makes us to be new creations. Now, none of us are immune or ignorant to the fact that developing and pursuing biblical friendships is a difficult matter. And we thought about that in our last session together. However, as we close out our time in this subject, I want you to be very clear. The delights of biblical friendship outweigh and overshadow the difficulties. The delights of biblical friendship, they outweigh and they overshadow the difficulties of biblical friendship. Therefore, notwithstanding the difficulties, we must pursue biblical friendship with a wholeheartedness. For we shall benefit if we ourselves are biblical friends to others and if we ourselves have biblical friends in our lives. So in this final address, I want us to finish on this very positive, very encouraging note of the delights of biblical friendship. And again, we're not exhaustive in this. We're not even comprehensive. I've chosen three delights of biblical friendship that uh, I have found in my own life, I've found in the lives of others, and I think are clearly laid out for us uh, in the word of God to encourage us in biblical friendship. It may have been that you noted the topic for the conference and you were unsure about what we would consider. Perhaps you were even in a context where you were struggling with friendships. Perhaps it was something that was a bit of a turnoff in terms of even the very theme. I'm well aware as a pastor and as a preacher that there are certain topics when you mention them to some people in your congregation, they're not exactly enthused by what you're going to preach on, even though the whole counsel of God, of course, is necessary for us. And I'm aware that there are some topics in the Bible that are certainly harder to hear than others. And there are some topics that we find 
difficult to listen to. But I hope that when we finish our session today, you will be encouraged, notwithstanding uh, the difficulties that we thought about, you will be encouraged to see that the delights of biblical friendship, they outweigh and overshadow the difficulties of biblical friendship and therefore are well worth pursuing by the grace of God. I want you to see, first of all, the delight of support or companionship that biblical friendship truly is. That's why I read 2 Timothy chapter 4. And next to the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry, the Apostle Paul and his ministry are companions for pastors. Uh, Paul is one of my dearest friends, even though he being dead and in glory, he still speaks. As you walk through what we call the pastoral epistles of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, Paul lays out in a lot of different ways, different aspects of pastoral ministry. And one of the key elements that you see here in pastoral ministry with Paul is that he did not do it himself on his own. He was not a lone ranger. There's a lot of lone rangers today. They set up their websites and put their name on it. Joe Bloggs Ministries. And they do their own thing. Uh, the reality is that we're called as pastors to shepherd the flock of God, the church. But there is no such thing as a pastor apart from the church. Whenever I am retired and I'm no longer an elder, I'll just be plain old Rob. I won't be pastor anything. Because you can't be a pastor if you don't have a congregation, Right? And so the reality is that pastoral ministry is done in the context of church and it's never intended to be done alone, right? I spent some years as a single elder. It's a challenging uh, experience. Um, in Emmanuel in, in Sacramento, uh, by God's grace, I've only had a very short period of time where I was a single elder when one of my other elders wanted to go up to his home church and we had to reconfigure our eldership. But the Lord very quickly in a period of six months, because I knew it was coming, and the Lord provided two men and we were back to a plurality of elders. I never want to be a single elder ever again. Uh, of course, the Lord is sovereign in these things. I'm thankful we have five elders right now. I want 10. I want 15 elders. Uh, I want as many as the Lord will give us. She was like, how many elders do you want, Pastor? How many should we have? I said, I have no idea, but we'll pray for as many as the Lord will give us. Uh, for that will be good for the church. And we see here then the Apostle Paul's life in ministry. It's lived out not as a lone ranger, but as a man with companions. A man with, I would argue, biblical friends. A man also with those who seemed to be biblical friends, but turned out to be false, right? You know the story of Demas here. But particularly in verse 11, I think, indicates to us something of the, the delight of biblical friendship, when Paul writes this, Luke alone is with me. I'm here on my own right now with Luke, but I'd like it if Mark would come as well. Now, that's not an insignificant statement if you know your New Testament, right? There was a time when Mark wasn't in Paul's good books, <laughs> right? Uh, and Paul refused to take him. Now here, he's saying, bring him. I want Mark. And notice what he says. This little phrase, for he is very useful to me for ministry. There was a time Paul said, hey, he's not coming. He's not useful. Now he's useful. What does that teach us? There was growth in the life of Mark. 
even though he failed at one point with Paul, whatever the circumstances are, we don't know. Here, he's in Paul's good books. Paul wants him in his circle. Paul wants him in his uh, ministry team, if you want to call it that. And what do we see here? We see here then something then of, of, of the delight of support and companionship. Biblical friendships are given to us by God so that we don't walk through this world on our own. So that we don't have to try and get to heaven as lone rangers. God does not intend us to go to heaven alone. That's why he saves us and puts us into the body of Christ. Now I know that America struggles with this. And as a Brit, I'm sticking my neck out, but I preached it in California. So if I survived in California, I'll survive in Kentucky, right? America's rugged individualism in some ways has been a blessing. Let's not deny that, right? But in many ways has been a cursed thing, especially for the church, especially for the Christian life. And we need to see this and we need to push back on this. And we need to recognize that indeed God intends us to live in community with one another and not be rugged individuals. Yes, think for yourself, of course. Yes, work through your own conscience and your own understanding. But recognize you are called to be part of something far bigger than you. The church of Christ. And you're called to be a support and a companion to others. And you know, as we've already established, life consists of these two realities, doesn't it? Adversity and prosperity. And we want to make sure that as those who would be enjoying biblical friendship and giving biblical friendship, that we are there to support and be a companion to others when life's difficulties come as well as life's celebrations. And we want to be very clear that God has called us into communion, into covenant with one another. Even all the Proverbs. If you were to take a step back from the book of Proverbs, and understand the context in which they are given. They're given in the context of covenant community. Because that's what Israel was. It was a covenant community. And all of these uh, truisms of how to relate are all given in the context of a covenant community. You take it now into the New Testament. And you see here then that in Christ, Paul, as he's doing ministry, he's not doing it alone. He's in covenant community with these other men. And he's aware of the benefit, the blessing of companionship and support. And my dear sisters, I want to encourage you this morning. The reality is that there are no doubt going to be people in this church right now who need your companionship and support in a peculiar way. One of the ways I've learned over the last 13 years or so since my father died is how much being a widow is a difficult experience in life. Um, you know, when you're a young pastor, you read books on widowhood, and you know, I understand that theoretically, but when your father dies and your mother's left, and you now have to call her every week, and you have to hear her heartache and her, heart, her heartbreak, it changes your understanding of what widowhood really consists of. And I don't think that we've done well in the 21st century uh, at looking after the widows. In the church. I told my own congregation this. I told my deacons this. We need to do better. 
we need to be thoughtful, we need to be considerate, we need to be caring, we need to be self-denying. And we want to encourage our young people to realize you'll get old one day. Love the elderly. We live in a day where the elderly are just shut in and hidden away and we don't want to talk about it because it's all about the young people. Now, don't misunderstand me. I love young people. But that's not biblical. The scriptures are very clear that we must take care of, of, of the widow. And there's a lot of instruction in Paul's writing regarding widows. Um, the only book I know of that's actually available right now is the one that Brian Croft and I think Austin Walker did on widows, caring for widows. Um, I only got it this week from Brian. It's a whole area that I'm wanting to look at because I think as a church, uh, our church I'm thinking about, but the church at large, we need to recognize that there must be support, there must be companionship for those who have lost their loved ones um, until they go to glory as well. Part of my job as a pastor, you know what it is, is to prepare my people to die well. And that's not a very popular thing to say in our generation, right? People, <clears throat> But the reality is that's part of my job, is to help my people to die well. I've sat at the side of the bed of many over the years. I've done many funerals from little babies to elderly saints. One out of one people die. And we want to make sure that we as the Christian church are concerned to support those who have suffered bereavement and those who are getting elderly in years and widows is a key category of ministry that I think is neglected in our churches in a way that we need to do better. We just need to be honest about that. And uh, here the Apostle Paul, of course, is, is not widowed, but he's, he's concerned about having companionship and support. And this is one of the delights, isn't it, of biblical friendship, that we are not alone. We are not alone. Bless God we are not alone. Bless God that we have one another in the church to minister to one another. And so I want to encourage you first and foremost to see that. This is one of the delights of biblical friendship, that you're not asked by God to go through this world on your own. You're, you're given support, you're given companionship. Now it's true, you have to develop it, it has to be something you cultivate, but nevertheless it ought to be high on our agenda. One of the things that's very important for us in Emmanuel that I've tried to cultivate over the years is to make it clear to our membership, and we do this at our members meetings, is to remind them, nobody must get into this church and out of this church without someone having greeted them with a smile. Having engaged them and found out who they are. I usually go to the door on a Sunday and uh, it's a bit longer walk for me than it is for Jim. Uh, your building's much nicer, mind you, but the reality is if you get out the door before me, you'll be moving really fast. <laughs> and I'm intentional about that. We only have one door that you can get out of the building unless you slip out the side door, which you're not really supposed to do. So there's a, more than likely, you'll at least get one handshake and one smile and one engagement. But we have a hospitality team, men and women, that we encourage them to be in the foyer. And they will, because our city centre church, not quite as rural Kentucky, is busy. Our foyer is really busy. Uh, but I don't want anybody coming to our church and not being engaged with a smile by someone in our congregation and we have to be intentional at that right because what do we do on a Sunday the most natural gravitation is to the people we know Boop, there's my friend there's my sister there, right You're, you go to your biblical friends right but 
We try to encourage our people for 10 minutes after the service, don't do that. Speak to someone that you've never met. Go up to someone that you perceive might be a visitor. Now, the good chance is that they're not a visitor. They probably say, I've been coming here for five weeks. Or I've been coming here for two months, right? And that's okay. Just get over the embarrassment and that's fine. But the reality is that you don't want people to be left alone. You don't want them to be left alone. Biblical friendship is all about relationship. It's all about the delight of companionship and support. And that's where it starts, that first conversation, right? Like Katia was telling me, she met her husband at a coffee break. You know, that first conversation. And then, as we say, the rest is history, right? And there's a lot of other things have happened in between that, right? She didn't just have a coffee break and then she was married. There's a lot going on, right? So, so the reality for us is it begins with one contact that can blossom into a wonderful relationship over many, many years. And those of us who are a bit older, we remember that. We remember the first time we met someone and how that friendship developed. I was trying to think of the first time I met Jim Sevastio. Um, and it, it was definitely at Montville, at the pastor's conference at one point. Um, and I knew that Jim had the, the reputation of being the best impersonator of Al Martin. Um, and uh, he, still hold, he still holds that, by the way, in all the reforms or back to circles that we know. Jim is known as the best impersonator. Uh, I think he won a prize when he was at the academy for that. But, uh, but, but I don't remember exactly that first time I met Jim. But we, there are relationships that we remember, don't we, when you first met them. And yet it blossoms into this relationship of companionship and support. And that's one of the great delights. I'm sure that you ladies, as you sit here, there are... You're sitting with some of your friends, but there are people that you know. Yes, that is what they are to me, and that's what I am to them. And, and that's so important to see. We're not asked to go through this life on our own. Bless God, I'm thankful for that. I could not imagine uh, what it would be like to be uh, incarcerated in solitary confinement and for years on end. Um, God made us to live in community. God made us to be social. Now, I understand some of us are more social than others. I get of that. There's a spectrum. But none of us are to live in isolation. Indeed, Proverbs tells us, he who isolates himself, what does it say? Does so to their own destruction. And sometimes I have to have those conversations with some of our uh, quieter people in our church. They'll sometimes be complaining, you know, pastor, I don't know anybody. Pastor, I don't have any relationships. Say, okay, well, uh, who have you been talking to? Well, I don't talk to anybody. Well, I leave before the service is over. Well, I come when the service is started. What do you expect? This doesn't happen by magic. It happens by intentionality. It happens by honesty before God. Lord, help me. I'm a bit backward. That's okay. Be honest about it. Address it. Ask the Lord for grace. You know what he does? He gives you the grace. He gives you the grace to not go it alone, but to have support and have companionship. I want to encourage you this morning. Ask yourself, are you such a friend to your friends that you are there for them to support them? Be a companion. Sometimes, right? And you know this. Sometimes just being present. You don't have to necessarily say very much, right? One of the things I learned over the years when you go to a home where someone has died just being present with an arm round the shoulder 
is all that's needed. You don't have to say anything. Nothing profound. Nothing really smart. Nothing really memorable. In fact, it's wiser to say nothing because people are more sensitive when there's death. And if you say something really stupid, they'll be talking about it in 20 years. Right? You don't want to do that. But just being present. Your arm around, taking something over uh, by way of a meal or whatever. Uh, companionship, support. This is one of the delights of biblical friendship. And I bless God that in our congregation, we, we try to encourage this. It's not perfect. We can always be growing in it. But, but there is a genuine culture, climate uh, of support and companionship in the lives of our people. But we, have to, we can't be complacent. We can't become nonchalant about it. We've got to keep pursuing it. The scriptures are very clear here that this is one of the, the purposes, I think, actually, of God putting us in community so that we have support, so that we have companionship. One of the reasons that God gave me a wife was because it was not good for me to be alone, right? Right there in Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, right? God gives us one another to support one another and be companions to one another. And the reality is that uh, as we get older and as our marriages get older... One of the most important parts of marriage as you get older is the simple reality of having your companion with you. That's why I love the fact that I can come here and my wife's with me. Uh, if at 12 o'clock today or probably tomorrow night after I'd preached, my wife wasn't with me, I'd be wanting to get on the first plane back to Sacramento. Elaine's here, so I don't care what time I get home, it doesn't matter. I'll get home, Lord willing, on Tuesday, uh, and my companion is here. And so your companion, your support is here, you rejoice in that. And so I want to encourage you to see this, the delight. You're not asked to live it on your own, to go solo. You have support. Be supportive uh, of others. But then the second delight I want you to see is this. There's the delight then, and it follows on with this, the delight of encouragement. And I want you to turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Paul's ministry endeavors begin with his relationship with Barnabas it will go through ups and downs like ministries can but in chapter 14 and verse 20 we read this let's get the context in verse 19 but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead that's a pretty dramatic picture isn't it the Apostle Paul suffering for the gospel. But, verse 20, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed so here's Barnabas you know what Barnabas means son of encouragement right that's why I really like Barnabas because he really is a model I think for pastoral ministry right that we would be encouragers of others. You know and I know the Christian life is challenging. 
right? I love being a Christian. I bless God that I'm a Christian. I don't want to not be a Christian. But being a Christian is challenging. It's difficult at different times, right? And encouragement goes a long way, doesn't it? Let's be honest. It's a blessing to have someone draw alongside you to encourage you as opposed to discourage you. We all know, don't we, that discouragement is easy to give, right? That natural bent towards being critical, that natural bent towards being cynical, that natural bent towards being uh, disaffected. The reality is that it takes the grace of God to be an encourager and to seek to give positive affirmation and encouragement. But this is what friendship ought to do. This is what Paul did. This is what Barnabas did. Right, uh, And so it's very important to consider uh, Proverbs 27 verse 9, I think, is a very beautiful picture. Turn there for a moment to Proverbs 27 verse 9. And think this through with me for a moment regarding the delight of encouragement uh, that we have in our friendships, if our friendships are reflecting this. Proverbs 27 verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Now I know all you ladies like to buy these candles that smell nice, right? My wife works part-time in Hobby Lobby. And so uh, we have plenty of those uh, opportunities. Although she's very good, she doesn't bring tons of them home. But she does have these things she plugs in and they make our house smell nice. And we don't always agree that it's smelling nice, but... She thinks it's smelling nice. Sometimes I have a, a very sensitive nose and I can start to sneeze, but I'll be sitting reading a book and I'll hear this. And I'm like, what's that? And then I realize, oh, it's one of those smelly things. And it pushes out this aroma into the room. You know what I'm talking about, right? You've got them in your home, right? You, some of you are addicted. You buy too many of them. But the reality is we like our homes to smell nice, right? When my wife is cooking in the kitchen, I come home. I can tell sometimes what I'm having for dinner. Ah, oh, that's a lovely aroma, right? I hear this picture is the oil and perfume. It makes the heart glad. Lovely aromas, nice smells. Uh, they, they, they make us smile, right? And, they, and they, they lift the spirit, right? And here the book of Proverbs is saying to us, well, that's the same as a, a, a friend who comes to you to encourage you. Right? To lift your heart, to lift your spirit, right? And, and this is what biblical friendship uh, brings to us when we're enjoying it, right? There's the delight of an encouragement, a word in season to lift us when we're downcast. So important to realize that in the Christian life, we need, in our companionship and in our support, we need it to be encouraging. Now, it doesn't mean you're always going to say positive things, right? As we saw from uh, our first session this morning, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes you have to say hard things. But, but the reality of our friendships should be that they are they're characterized by the aroma of encouragement, right? Some of us grew up in homes where our, our parents were perhaps a bit too negative, right? You could never please them. You could never satisfy them. There was never affirmation. I'm thankful that, though my dad was old school in some ways, and uh, he did his military service when he was a young man, and 
Uh, we're, we're Scottish, so we're, we're a sort of stiff upper lip kind of Northern European mentality. My father was still a great encourager. Um, he supported my brother and I uh, in any of our lawful endeavours. He wasn't afraid to tell us when they were unlawful endeavours, which was a good thing too, by the way. But he would be supportive. He'd be one of the few men that would sometimes come and stand on a wet morning and watch me play rugby when there was nobody else around. I mean, in Scotland, it's not like America, you know. You play your sports, nobody's there. It's not like, you know, 500 families and their grandparents and their dogs and their cats and everybody and their, and their chairs and their ice boxes. When we first came to America, I coached soccer for 11 years. And the first couple of years, I'm like, this is unbelievable. The whole family's here, right up the touchline, the whole to the corner flags. And I would have to actually talk to the parents because one of the rules was, I'm the coach. Shh. Shh. And the referee would book me if the parents, and we used to have, you know, some, some Mexican dads, right? I mean, they're even more passionate about football than Scotsmen are, which I never thought was possible. And they're round the corner coaching their girl behind the goals, and I'm like, hey, shh, sit down, right? But they're there for positive encouragement. They're there to support their children. Scotland, nobody's there. Now, part of it is because who wants to come and watch kids play rugby and it's pouring with rain, right? In California, it's a picnic. It's a day out, right? It's sunny. We had to adjust to all that cultural dynamic when we went to uh, California. We, we love it. We love the fact that parents are there. That, uh, you know, even though American parents know nothing about soccer, we love the fact that they're there, right? Um, and back home in Scotland, my dad would be one of the few men who would come on a Saturday morning to watch us play. Uh, and it was positive affirmation. It was encouragement. And I bless God for that. I'm very thankful that that was his general uh, disposition towards his boys. Um, but some of us have grown up in contexts where our, we didn't have that. Uh, and so it doesn't come naturally to us for some of us. Now, of course, this is a grace that only comes through the Spirit. But especially if you've had a background where it's been negative, I think it can be an even bigger challenge to learn how to be an encourager, how to have positive affirmation. But I want to encourage you, dear sisters, that the delight of biblical friendship is intended by God not only to give us support and, and companionship that we're not alone, but it's to be infused by, it's to be marked by, it's to have the aroma of encouragement, building up one another. It's dead easy to tear down. Any fool can do that. But to build up, to have a positive word in season, to know when it's wise to say something and maybe wise to not say it or how to say it, to bring encouragement, to be this, if you like, aroma of sweet perfume to your sister, that requires the Spirit of God. That requires the grace of God. But I want to encourage you this morning to see that and to understand that and to work at that by the grace of God. It's a fact. I can say this unequivocally, not all Christians are encouragers. I have a list of them in my congregation, right? The only time some people will speak to me is when they don't agree with my sermon. Or they didn't think I preached it the way that I should preach it. And that's not a good way to have a relationship. So I, I just tell them. I say, hey, I appreciate your coming to me and you might be right about that point. But hey, let's try and have a relationship that's not just always negative. <laughs> Let's have a relationship that's not just always you want to tell me what was wrong with my sermon. 
my first pastoral charge in Northern Ireland, there was this dear old couple, and I would go and visit them, pastoral visit, and this, this old woman, she would have a list. I was only about a year, 18 months in the pastoral ministry. She would have a list of everything I was doing wrong. And it got to the point this afternoon where I thought, I'm going to go here and I'm going to have a list and it's going to be another list of everything I'm doing wrong. Now, that's true. Probably she was probably right in half of it, at least half of it, because I was a young rookie pastor. I was just learning. But I just got to the point where I said to her, I said, you know, do you mind if I uh, mention something to you? I said, it seems like all you ever have for me is a list of what I'm doing wrong. She says, which is fine. I'm willing to receive whatever criticisms are valid. She says, well... You don't need me to tell you what you're doing right. And I thought about that. And I've thought about it for years since. I thought, but actually I do. Actually, I do need you to give me some encouragements. Not just criticisms. And I want to encourage you this morning to see that. It's very subtle. Well, I don't need to say anything that you're doing right. No, even a word of thanks. Right? Even a, an expression of gratitude is an encouragement right? for a small thing. Right? It goes a long way. Right? We will get reputation, whether we like it or not, as being either encouragers or discouragers. The ability to affirm and to build up, to be that oil, that perfume, that is a sweet aroma that brings gladness to the heart of others. I want to encourage you this morning to see this is one of the delights. You have the opportunity to contribute to the encouragement of one another. What a blessed thing that is, isn't it? We actually are designed by God in grace to help each other get to heaven. We are the means by which, one of the means by which the Lord uses us to help each other to get to glory. Think about that. When you join a church, right, you join a group of Christians that are marching to Zion, right? And you are part of that troop. And you now will play a part in helping that troop get to Zion. The question you have to ask yourself is, what does your contribution look like? Is it one of encouragement? Building up? Affirming? Edifying? Or is it one of tearing down? being negative, never being happy. The reality is that we're called to see the benefit and the blessing, the delight of being friends to one another in Christ and to build one another up. So that brings us to the third and, and, and really the, the final point that I want us to think about here that I think in all honesty is part of the, the raison d'etre, if you will, of why God calls us to have these spiritual biblical friendships. Because this is where it's all going. Right? This is the end game. Okay? The delight of growing and maturing into conformity to Jesus. Growing and maturing into conformity to Jesus. You see, the church is not a social club. Being in Christ is not about material prosperity. Or about merely the here and now. It's all going somewhere. It's going to glory. It's going to conformity to Jesus. Have you ever thought about why God saved you? 
He saved you because he loves you. But what's his intent? Well, Paul tells us, doesn't he? Right? It is to make us blameless, spotless, before his presence with exceeding joy. God works all things together for good, right? We love that text, Romans 8.28. But did you notice that Romans 8.29 is really connected to Romans 8.28? He works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that they might be what? Conform to the likeness of his son. This is where it's all going, my dear sisters. This is what our biblical friendship is really all about, right? Our biblical friendship is really all about are growing and maturing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to see this. I want you to encourage you to understand this. Turn back to 1 Timothy for a minute. Chapter 4 and verse 5. Sorry, 2 Timothy 4 verse 5. Paul writes this. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Here's what he says to Paul, to Timothy. Fulfill your ministry. Right? Paul has a telos in view. Right? He has an end game in view. And that is that as he writes to Timothy, Timothy will mature, he says earlier, to make sure your progress is seen to all. Right? His goal is that Timothy will mature as a pastor. Right? He will mature as a minister of the gospel. He will mature as a Christian, basically. Right? This is what biblical friendship is really all about. Biblical friendship is really all about us helping, encouraging, aiding one another to mature more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. For this is the very goal of our salvation. Why does Jesus say to his disciples, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends? Because he's saying to them, as I lay down my life for you, and you are my friends, I'm not only going to reconcile you to God, but I'm going to transform you into my likeness as you go about your life living for my glory. And my dear sisters, I think we can forget this. We can, we can miss this when it comes to the issue of why we have our friendships at all. Why we are actually put together in the church at all. It is to make us like Jesus. That's why we're here. That's the point of it. That God would be glorified through our transformation by grace. And that's a challenging thing, isn't it? To consider, right? That's a challenging reality for us to ponder because we're so earthy. Right? We're so here and now that we don't think as we should about there and then. Right? But part of my responsibility, as I mentioned earlier, is to help my people to die well. And to die well, you must have an eternal perspective on life. You must have an eternal perspective. This is why Jonathan Edwards would pray that God would stamp eternity on his eyeballs. Right? We're so well off, so materially comfortable, even through COVID, right? The economy tanks by 10%, maybe 15%. Did we really feel it that much? Oh, we complain gas has gone up. Oh, we complain the food has gone up. And it's true, it has. We've noticed the difference. But in comparison with the world, materially speaking, we are still the billionaires, materially speaking. 
Blessed as we may be at that level, it brings with it spiritual dangers. Spiritual dangers. And we need to be aware then of the fact that we are called by God in Christ to become like Jesus. I'm going to turn back for a moment to Proverbs, to chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. And I want you to look at this text with me. This is a text that I really first became fascinated by in my late teens, early 20s, when I was reading through the memoirs and remains of one of my favorite Scotsmen, Robert Murray McShane, who I think had a really good accent as well, though I've never heard him preach. But Robert Murray McShane died when he was 29. God in his providence took him to Israel for a tour and sent revival to his church in Dundee. Talk about keeping him humble, right? He, the, the minister, the pastor goes off to Israel. The spirit of God moves in his church when he's away, right? Um, McShane was one of the great divines of the 1800s in Scotland. Uh, and, and, and he, when he was at Edinburgh University studying, writes in his memoirs of his determination based on Proverbs 13 verse 20. To always to seek to be in the company of someone he perceives to be more holy than he was. I think that's fascinating. Right? But it's based on this text. Right? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now why did McShane resolve to always desire to be in the presence of someone more holy than he was? Because he recognized that to be in the presence of someone more holy than he was meant that he was likely to learn how to pursue holiness more faithfully. Because he understood, you see, that the goal of his salvation was to become more like Jesus Christ. The goal of being redeemed is that we would become more Christ-like. That's why God saved us. Right? That's why we've been lifted out of the pit and put upon the solid rock uh, of Christ. And that's why we've been given the spirit of God uh, to, to bring us into conformity to Christ. Why? Because in the fall we lost that perfect reflection of God in our image bearing. We're image bearers even as fallen creatures, but we're marred image bearers. And in Christ we're being recreated into the likeness of Christ. And this whole dynamic then of our relationships, our friendships, if you will, is designed by God to aid us in our conforming to Christ. To grow us up, to mature us into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. This is one of the great delights of friendship, that you can influence others to become like Jesus, and they can influence you to become like Jesus. And this is the very end game of everything. I think we can be very short-sighted, can't we, when it comes to understanding what it means to be saved and in the church and part of the church uh, and our responsibilities. And yet here's what, uh, how, how Paul puts it, uh, and you're very familiar with this, I'm sure. Here's how Paul puts it to Titus in Titus chapter 2. And of course we would all want to go there at some level to think about this regarding particularly the women of the church. But here's what Paul tells us in, 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 in writing to Titus is he's establishing fledgling churches on the island of Crete, right? Pretty tough place to church plant. But notice what he says in verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, 
not slanderers or slaves to, to, to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now what is this? It's just simply that the older women teach the younger women how to pursue holy lives. That's part of God's purpose in the church, right? Now I think we can sometimes do that in a very formal, manufactured way that I don't always think produces the kind of fruit that we would desire. I think it's actually meant to be done in a very more informal, uh, relational way where the older women are investing in the younger women, the younger women are building relationships with the older women, and as a result of this, they're getting the kind of help that they need in the pursuit of God. I had a young woman just this week write to me, or actually she spoke to me last Sunday night. She sat me down um, and she said to me, Pastor, I really, I really need help. Uh, I think we should get all the older women together and we should, we should have a meeting. And of course I said to her, well, I know that at an informal level, a lot of this kind of discipling is going on in our church. Um, I'm not against a formal meeting, but I think we have to be careful that it becomes very manufactured. And one of the dynamics can be that you put an older woman with a younger woman where there is maybe not that dynamic that really they click together. Right? You've got to be careful. Right? We don't just force square pegs into round holes. Right? Uh, rather, we need to encourage the older woman to develop natural uh, relationship, as it were, a natural dynamic with some of the women in the church, maybe the locale, maybe the experiences of life, and this kind of dynamic can develop. I'm not saying you can't buy a book on how to be a Titus two woman and have a Bible study. Right? That, that's helpful. But nevertheless, real life is much more dynamic than that. Uh, and there's, a, there's an important need in our churches then to be encouraging this culture, but it doesn't have to be very formal. It can be very informal. And there, there are women in our church who are engaged with younger women. This girl just needed to get plugged in. She needs some help. She's had a little one. She's been underwater for a while. They've been having some issues with her house and all of that. And she's just, in a sense, aware that she could do with some encouragement and some guidance and some direction. Uh, but it doesn't have to mean that I have to call a meeting of all the women of the church and start having Titus 2 groups. right? Not that I'm against that, but nevertheless, what I think Paul is describing here is encourage the older women to minister to the younger women, the younger women to see the benefit of the older women ministering to them and giving them something of their wisdom and experience as women of God. But what's the end game of all of this? It's conformity to Christ-likeness. To be Christ to one another. To be like Jesus to one another. That's what we're called to. That's what you're called to. That's what I'm called to. I'm called to be Christ to you. You're called to be Christ to me. In our marriages, in our parenting, in our, in our social dynamics, uh, this is what we're called to. Why? Because this is where it's all going. It's all going to make us new creations perfectly like Jesus for the new heavens and the new earth. Where there'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more death. And we shall see him and in seeing him, we shall be like him. And my dear sisters, I want you to really see this as we close. Uh, one of the great dangers of preaching on a subject like biblical friendship is that you, you give out a list of how-tos. 
I'm not a how-to guy. I'm a be, being person, right? What you are is much more important than what you're accomplishing, right? Being Christian is everything. Because if being Christian is real, then the rest takes care of itself. It really does. And I want to encourage you this morning in terms of the issue of the delights of biblical friendship to see uh, that God has designed our companionship, our, our, our support, our encouraging of one another towards the end that we might grow together in our likeness to Jesus Christ. That we might eventually be presented before him without blemish, without fault, in his presence with exceeding joy. This is all going somewhere. It's going to glory. It's going to eternal experience of God. And so you might come this morning to the conference and you might say to yourself, well, I'm not much of a friend or I don't have any friends. What's the answer, pastor? Give me a list of five things. I say, no. I say, be Christian. Be Christian. Be like Jesus. And you will grow in learning how to be a biblical friend. That's the reality of it all. The delight, there are the delights of biblical friendship come to us in the context of the gospel and in the context of Christ himself uh, loving us and laying his life down for us and giving his, his spirit to us that we might be transformed into his likeness. I have never met any mature believer who's not friendly. I've never met any mature believer who doesn't care for other people. I've never met any mature believer who doesn't want to be a friend to others. You know why that is? Because mature believers have the spirit of God and God has changed them. And we don't have to get a microscope out to try and find it. Being produces it because the spirit of God is truly in us making us what God intends us to be. That's why I can come into a congregation and I can engage with saints and know immediately there's a oneness that we have because not of anything natural in us, though there are natural dynamics going on, but because we have the Spirit of God, because we are in Jesus Christ. Whether it's Louisville, or whether it's in California, or whether it's back in my homeland of Scotland, or where I pastored for a number of years in Northern Ireland, it doesn't matter. The reality is that we're, God's people are pursuing Christ-likeness. There is a unity. There is a oneness that is tangible, that is real, that we know to be true. And so I want to encourage you this morning as, you, as we conclude together this whole issue of biblical friendship. Be careful about looking for a whole bunch of how-tos. Rather, consider the one who is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the one who laid down his life for us that we might become friends of God through him and in becoming friends of God through him we might then enter into friendship with one another by his grace. Communion of the saints. Because that's really what this is. Biblical friendship is the communion of the saints brought about by the union that we have with Jesus Christ. We don't need to complicate it. We don't have to write a whole bunch of books on how to this and how to that. We need to be Christian. That's how you will be a biblical friend to one another. And so my dear sisters, go forth looking unto Jesus.
the author and the finisher of your faith, the friend who sticks closer than a brother, the one who, having loved you, has laid down his life for you, that you might be a friend of God and a friend to one another by his grace. And if you look to him and if you learn of him, you will be all that he desires you to be as biblical friends to one another. It is difficult, but the delights overshadow and outweigh the difficulties. So pursue it by pursuing Christ with all of your heart. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice that Christ is all in all. We thank you that he is indeed the friend who sticks closer than a brother. We thank you that by his life, being laid down for us. Not only has he redeemed us through his precious blood that we might be friends of God, but he has secured for us the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwelling within us enables us then to be friends of one another by your grace. Father, I do pray for each and every one of these dear sisters this morning. I pray, Father, that wherever they may be with you, wherever they may be in their relationships, that uh, these Feeble efforts to instruct them from your word would be used by you to encourage them, to grow them, to strengthen them, that the bonds of their fellowship and their friendships in Christ would be strengthened for the glory and the honor of your great name. And that your blessing would abide upon each and every one of them as they continue to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith. We ask it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.